Are we rolling already? Yep. Perfect. So it's just a conversation. Okay. So when you're ready, whatever your first question is, just go ahead and ask it to me. And there's no right or wrong way. Okay. So I have been getting a lot of, hey, we're going to wait six months to buy. Mm -hmm. What is, like, what do you suggest people do instead of just waiting six months to get their credit pool yeah. then? Well, I, so there's a couple different things that we're telling people, and a lot of it revolves around price. Right now, you have a little bit less competition. Um, you can negotiate a little bit, and even though the rates are a little bit higher, you have two different vehicles to kind of combat interest rates because everybody knows they are going to come back down. We don't know how far or how fast, but what we do know is lots of lenders are giving uh, like if you do a purchase with them, they'll do a refi with no lender fees, like within the next year or so. I think ours goes through the end of 2024. And then also the temporary buy down is a good solution because you can get like 2% lower on the rate first year, 1% lower on the rate second year. And then anything you don't use of that buy down, you actually get it off your payoff. So you don't lose the money, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think that if people just understood how the math worked, right? So let's say you have a $200,000 house and instead of 6.5%, you want to wait till it gets to 4.5%. Well, that's only $200. But if you saved 10000 right? Mm -hmm. And you put it over in a piggy bank and you took 200 a month away, it would take five, almost five years. It'd take four years and three months to empty out the piggy bank. You're going to refinance before then. Right, yeah. so you can win right now in this market. What you can't do is go back and pay less for the house. Because once rates get firmly in the fives again, you're gonna have a lot more competition. House prices are not gonna go down. When rates mm -hmm. go down, they're gonna go up. You're gonna probably pay a little bit more for that house, maybe ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 more for that house. And so even if you get it at four and a half, did you really save any money? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. So I think that learning how to find the opportunity in the market is what we have to do, right? Um, and you know, we have good materials and things like that, but there's nothing like a good old fashioned conversation. Like I can send you a flyer or I can show you a worksheet, but until you sit down with someone and explain it to them like we are right now, mm -hmm. it may not completely click, you know? But okay. the ones that get it, then they get excited about buying right now. We got a lot of people that are in that boat. Yeah. I just feel like they should have like a game plan. And I know they're like, well, we don't want our credit pulled twice. You mm -hmm. know, if we wait till six months, we want just wait to get our credit pulled in. Yeah. And I actually had someone, they're like, well, we're uh, paying off two credit cards. I was like, well, you know, it's great if you talk to a lender and have them tell you what you should be paying off. Yeah. Just helping you with that. Yeah. That's actually really great advice because sometimes we see a lot people say oh well i have a couple of bad things i want to take care of and immediately for me that's a red flag because sometimes paying off an old debt can be worse right mm -hmm. so we have tools at our disposal once we pull your credit to tell you if you do this this is the direct correlation of score that you get um, anything other than that you're just kind of shooting in the dark and a lot of consumers, one, they don't know their real credit score to begin with. And two, they may not know exactly what the best use of their money is to raise their credit score. 
because sometimes you have to fight an internal battle between I want that account to be paid so I know that I righted that wrong or whatever if it's a collection or I want to truly raise my score so I can save money on my mortgage. Sometimes they don't understand one is not mutually exclusive to the other one. Okay. They're completely different things. So to your point, um, credit reports are good for four months, okay. right? So someone that says six months, automatically you cut them back down to two months, right? You're like, well, credit's good for four. So we're just talking about the next 60 days. What are you guys trying to work on? Maybe you could get some advice. That way in two months we can pull the credit. So now you've cut them down from six to two, mm -hmm. right? So then you can just drip on them and keep calling them and just making sure, hey, only four more weeks, you know, blah, blah, blah. What are y'all working on? It's really easy to follow up with someone for two months. It's a little more difficult to follow up with them for six. Mm -hmm. So anytime someone says six or eight or whatever, just chop four months off of it and say, this is really when you should apply because the credit's good for four, right? So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a, it's not really a sales tactic. It's really a tactic of if you have something that's going to be a surprise, you want to know day one, Yeah. right? You don't want to wait till you don't want to wait months. until you're like I'm ready right now to move. I love this house. I found it, and you're like I had no idea that was on my credit. Yeah. You want to know the first possible day you can. So always, whatever their timeline is, just cut four months off of it, okay. and that's really when they need to apply. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think it helps with the conversations too, because then you're setting the tone for how that process should work. Okay. Uh, what about first homes? first-time home buyers that think they need to have like a 700 credit score. Yeah, well, I think they've been conditioned to think that. Um, now, higher credit score does help, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, but if you're using one of the state bond programs, which is where they give you either a grant or a second lien to help with down payment, once you get past a 640 credit score, everybody gets the same rate and cost. So you don't really need a 700 for that. Um, now, you still have to have a high enough credit score for the um, underwriting system to approve you, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't set the person that ha you could have an 800 credit score. And if you're using that program, you're going to get the same rate and fees as the person with the 640 credit score. So I think just helping them understand that. Like, look, if you're a first time home buyer and you're looking for, um, you know, the state bond programs or down payment assistance, like once you get to 640, you're getting the same thing someone with perfect credit gets. So don't, you know, don't spend an extra two, three grand trying to get to 700 if you have no benefit. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same with FHA. There's not a ton of benefit once you get past 660. It's pretty much the same until you get to 760, right? It's pretty much the same. Uh, maybe incremental changes, but it's not like conventional. Conventional, every 20 points, your pricing changes, okay. right? Every 5% down more you put, your pricing changes. So conventional is very much like what's your credit and what's your down payment. And that's how they determine your risk and your pricing. FHA and VA are not that way. So if it's a first-time home buyer that's using one of those programs, we try to tell them like, hey, good news for you is this is designed for people of all credit scores, right? It's not super discriminatory or, or, or risk-based is really the right word to say. It's not really risk-based where if you have a lower credit score and a lower down payment, you're going to get the highest rate possible doesn't work that way. So I think just educating them a little bit and letting them know like it's okay to buy a house with a 660. Mm -hmm. Like you can still get a, a good deal that's within the market. You just have to use FHA, you yeah. know, and that's not a bad thing. They just lowered their 
uh, monthly mortgage insurance by like 30 basis points. So like on a $200,000 house, that's 60 bucks less a month, which is real money, yeah. right? That helps with qualifying for more. It takes a little bit of pressure off the payment with rates being a little higher. So you might see more people using FHA in the next probably three to six months. We'll have to see how conventional, you know, come, kind of tries to get those buyers back. But, um, you know, conventional's making changes to rates on May 1st where they're incentivizing the 3% down and they're trying to incentivize the people under 660 to give them better pricing. But I think what FHA just did kind of puts the ball back in their court. So good thing for first-time home buyers is people are fighting for you. Yeah. You know, all the loan programs are fighting to make it more affordable for you. So in that sense, um, this is probably the better time to jump in. It is because last year we saw a lot of people not even looking at FHA loans. Yeah, yeah. And now it's different, right? Everybody knows FHA is lowering their fees. So now you have to understand people are going to want to pick what is the most affordable loan for them not just what we perceive as the best loan for them. Because FHA loans are not harder to close. You just have a couple of things with the appraisal that are different, right? So if mm -hmm. the property is in really good shape, there's really no difference. I mean, it's gonna, if they don't take longer, they're not harder to close. I think people just have a preconceived notion that if it's FHA, it's not as strong of a buyer. But if FHA keeps lowering rates in MI, it's just going to be cheaper for yeah, people to go FHA. Go FHA. And it's not has nothing to do with their qualification. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the MI can even be lower if they're putting 5% down. And if they're putting um, a good amount down, the mortgage insurance is not forever. A lot of people don't know that. They think FHA mortgage insurance is forever. If you put a certain amount down, it actually goes away after 132 months. So even okay. if they stay in the loan, it does go away. It just yeah. doesn't go away at the minimum down payment. So, okay. you know, I believe that they're working really hard to make their loan programs more attractive because over the last two years, we've said conventional, conventional, conventional. Mm -hmm. So now they're working really hard to be like, hey, don't forget about us. Like we might be cheaper for you. And I think that uh, we as real estate professionals are gonna have to change the way we think about it too. Because I think a lot more buyers are gonna wanna choose that if it's truly the cheaper, cheaper route for them. Yeah, absolutely. What about people who think that they have to have 20% down to buy a home? Yeah, I would say quit listening to your parents <laughs> because you know that probably comes from them. Mm -hmm. If you don't have this, it's gonna be more expensive and all these things like, we don't really live in a society where most first-time home buyers can do that. Yeah, no. Because with the way that prices of houses are accelerating, by the time you think you've saved 20%, now you need to save five more percent because the house went from 300 to 350 to 400, right? So you don't have 20% anymore. So that's why I tell people the moment that you can buy is when you buy because appreciation is a really hard thing to try to outrun by just saving money every month. Um, in a general market, your appreciation is going to be, you know, in a, in a regular market around here, it's 4%, right? But we had like 15, 16, 18, 20% appreciation. How are you supposed to save? How are you supposed to outrun appreciation to save 20% if the house is going up 20% mm -hmm. a year, right? So um, that's putting people in a position where you're, you're basically putting them 
in, in such a hole that they may never dig out of it and buy a house. And that's not really necessary. 20% is not necessary. And we know that. Yeah. No. But I think having the generation that always put 20% down or thought that was what was necessary, having them understand that, you know, homes aren't 150000 anymore. Yeah. You know? So it's hard to find a house for So 20% is not thirty grand anymore. Yeah. 20% is sixty grand now. And next year it might be 80. And the next year it might be 87. And if you can't save money at that pace... You may never get there. And then you just never buy a home. You always rent because someone told you you needed 20%. So I think re-educating and just showing people how you can buy and still have an affordable mortgage with 3% or 5% or 3.5% or whatever the number is, um, is a duty that you know you and I both have to take up and make sure that everybody that we come in contact with that wants to buy a home knows that. Because... You know, doing it the old way, you may you may never get there. Yeah. Life happens, you know? Yeah, everything's so expensive. It's hard to save, you know, save. Or if you have kids or, like, anything in your life changes and now you have an extra expense and you're like, well, I'm never going to get there. And it doesn't have to be that way. We have people close all the time with minimal money out of their pocket. If you really want to be a homeowner, especially right now, you can't. As long as you can afford the payment, this is probably the easiest time to be able to get qualified, find a home, get into contract, and close all within four to five weeks. Like start to finish. You could do that right now. The last two years, you know, it might take you four, four months just to win mm-hmm. a bid, yeah, right? So like hard. if you were sitting there being frustrated, like now's your time. Now's your chance. Jump in the game and win. It's easier than it's been the last two years. Good to know. Were those your questions? Yes. Okay. Anything else just in general that you're seeing or people, buyers are asking you that you want to just get No, it's just on? been basically that. I work with a lot of first-time home buyers, and everybody's like, well, right now rates are high. It's just not a good time. We're going to wait for rates to come down, or we're going to wait for prices to come down. And I was like, houses are not going to, you know. They're not going to come down like they're thinking, mm-hmm. right? So... When they say, oh, I'm going to wait for the market to correct, well, I mean, a correction is 10%. So, like, a $400,000 house would go to three sixty. I don't know that we're going to see that in our market. I do think you'll see it on the coast, east and west coast. Mm-hmm. But in our market, our market's always been so safe that I don't think you're going to see 10 20% correction here. So, what you can do is avoid paying more when rates go up, mm-hmm. right? And if you, you know, just want a deal, find a house that you like, and if it's been on the market a little bit, make an offer, but make a respectful offer, and then really try to have the point of making the offer to buy the house. Not just, let me throw this crazy number, and if they take it, I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, making offers with the intent to actual follow, actually follow through is different than just lowballing people. And I think that when people understand that, they get a little bit more serious about how they take the process. Does that make sense? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've all had people that are like, oh, it's, they want 300 I'm going to offer them 250 Okay, well, here's your letter. Let me know when you need another one because 250 is not happening probably. Mm-hmm. And if they get it, great. But, I mean, that's like one in 200 
it just doesn't happen. You know, normally it's like within that 10% range or within that even less, I would say 3% range. You know, 300,000, maybe 10 grand, somewhere in there is where you're, that's where your whole battle happens in negotiating, right? Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I mean, it has to be a special circumstance and I just don't think we're there yet in the market. So um, if you can buy at or below list price right now and maybe get some help for interest rate or temporary buy down, then you win the game because no one can make you pay more for it later. You own the house at that price. Mm -hmm. So all the appreciation, all the equity, it's yours. And then when rates come down, you do the refinance. That's what we've been telling people. That's, thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing all that. I mean, I think it's super helpful for people to understand that. Yeah. This doesn't have to be a hard um, market. Every time the market changes, we have the loan programs to help with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, temporary buy-down is specifically built for this. Like, we haven't been using it because rates have been super low. Mm -hmm. If it's three and a half, nobody's like, well, I really want a temporary buy-down so I can have one and a half the first year. Nobody says that. They're fine with three and a half and you move on. Um, but where we are now, everybody's being creative, and this is a way to help. Uh, we still qualify them on the full interest rate. So it's not like we're putting people in homes they can't really afford. And then when it adjusts, and it's not an adjustable rate because after two years, it's fixed forever. So it's not the same kind of tools that people are used to hearing or seeing. Mm -hmm. um, it really is just a quick fix. Let the market do what it does and then come back and do a new loan. And if everybody's wrong, if every economist is wrong and rates go to 9%, you still have the current rate. Yeah. You know, you're protected. It doesn't go up past today's rate. So, I, I mean, I just think it's the best potential um, use of funds right now if you're trying to make a big impact uh, for affordability in the next year or two. I think it's the, absolutely the best thing we can use. Okay. So tell me um, a little bit about yourself. So what did you do before real estate? So before real estate, I was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. I stayed home for a year and a half. Two children? Two children, yeah. yes. Daughter have, and son, two years apart. Yes. I have a 13-year-old son and mm -hmm. a 15-year-old daughter. Okay. Right at two years. Their okay. birthday is like June 19th, June 21st. Okay, that's pretty close. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I have two. My daughter is 20 and my son is 15. So we both have 15-year-olds. Yeah. So high school 15-year-olds is interesting. It is. Um, but yours is a girl, mine's a boy, so... Different, different stuff, but same kind of the same stuff, mm -hmm. probably. What yeah. school does your daughter go to? Falls, Clear okay. Falls. Yeah. So yeah. they're down the street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. what's been? So is your son thirteen, eighth grade? He's seventh grade. Seventh grade. Okay. Yes. Um, it's middle of the year, so you never know. Uh, seventh grade at Bayside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really so they keep you busy. They do. They're both very athletic. They yeah. are. So I'm always on the go, go, go. If I'm not at one track meet, I'm on the other one's track meet. Yeah. Or my son has played everything that they have at school, so. That's good. Yeah. They should stay. encourage them to do that, right? Yeah. To do swimming? No, not swimming. Okay. He did football, yeah. which that was fun to watch, and then basketball, which that has been my 
favorite? Favorite. Yeah, I love basketball. Basketball, now track, and then soccer will be next. Cool. Yeah. My son never played soccer. Um, he did play some football until high school. Now he just does basketball. Okay. Um, trying to get him to do long jump and triple jump, but he didn't do it this year. So I, um, I told him I wasn't going to let him do one sport ever. So next year, he's got to make sure I'm going to make sure he signs up he for a second one. Yeah. I just don't want him to have that much downtime. Now I say that, but he also plays on a travel basketball team, and their practices start as soon as you get back from spring break, and they okay. go until August. So he stays so he busy stays, most yeah, of the he stays summer. busy, and he's trying to have a pressure washing business, <laughs> and he tries to make music. He's always doing something. So I like his, I like his uh, hustle. He's got a good hustle. He does. Spirit. I think he does. I saw his. Uh, post yesterday and I was like that good for him. Yeah. He's trying to earn the money. He's not asking for it He's trying to earn well, it. He probably already asked for it <laughs> and got told no, but at least instead of just whining about it mm -hmm. He's like well, then I'll just try to make it myself yeah. You know and there's something about that that I think is special that I don't see it in a ton of kids um, His age so I'm just trying to help him as much as I can just instill that work ethic that if you really want something and you know, as your parent, I'm not willing to give it to you. Like, you can have it if you buy it. Mm -hmm. Like, I will never tell them, unless it's going to injure them or make harm to them, I will never say, no, you can't have those shoes if he's buying them. Like, I'll actually tell him, I think it's awesome that you bought them. Yeah. Like, I think you should work more and make more money and buy more stuff because that's eventually what happens. You know, you have to make money to pay for things so that you can live. And the big conversation that I'm having with him right now is looking at work like you're trading part of your life for money, mm -hmm. right? It's not a job, it's not a career, like you trade, you decide how much you're worth when you say I will show up and work this many hours for this much money, right? So know how much you're worth and then don't sell yourself short. Yeah. Because you're trading a portion of your life every single day so that you can provide for yourself. So if you're worth a lot of money, you either need to demand a lot of money or you need to demand a flexible schedule, right? And if you're not worth a lot of money, you need to be asking, how do I become worth a lot of money? Because you are telling people what you're willing to accept for your time when you take a job. And it blew his mind at first. He was like, that's how that works? I was like, it's actually how it works. It's not how people tell you it works. But if you say, I'm willing to work for $10 an hour, then that's what you're worth. Mm-hmm. And that's like nothing, you know, like that's not a lot of money. No, it's not. But a lot of people his age are willing to take $10 an hour. So he looks at it and says, well, why would I go work at this place for $10 an hour when I could pressure wash a driveway in one day and make 200. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know why you would do that. I wouldn't do that. I would pressure wash the driveway. And he's like, okay, well then that's what I'm going to do. You know, so I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that he's going to be the college one. So I'm trying to teach him the street right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is how it works, man. This is how, Life works. You're going to decide how much you're worth, and then you're going to show up for that much money. And if no one will give you that, 
then figure out a way to demand it in something that you do, right? So if that means you got to go learn a trade, go learn a trade. I'm not going to make anyone go to college. I'm not going to just spend money just to spend money mm-hmm. so you can say, oh, I got this thing that I'm never going to use. And like, it's not for everybody. No, it's not. And I think people are coming around more to that. We need skilled laborers, whether mm-hmm. it be, you know, mechanical or construction or it doesn't matter what it is. We need people that have a skill. Like if you look right now, all these airlines are willing to train people from no experience because they don't have enough pilots. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons of opportunity. Um, but I think that, you know, we're two generations away from everybody goes to college, everybody gets a job, you work there 30 years and you retire. Well, that's not how it works anymore. Yeah. You know, mainly because now when you retire, they don't give you your benefits for the, your whole life and there's no pensions, mm-hmm. you know, so why would you do that? Why would you just commit yourself to a company when no one ever commits themselves back to you? So in business, we try to commit ourselves to our people so they want to stay, right? Mm-hmm. Because I understand that. But I think a lot of companies are behind the curb. Yeah. You know, it's so them, 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 them. And then they don't know why people don't stay. Well, you didn't put them first. Yeah. They're trading their life and time away from their family to be here. And you didn't treat them like they were important. Why would they stay? That's why I love coming here. I see how you treat everybody. That's why they don't leave you. That's, yeah. you know. Well, <laughs> and if they do, I hope it's for something that's so much better that I'm excited for them. Yeah. You know, I've had a couple people that leave because they were ready to do something that I didn't have a platform for them to do. And in that scenario, I'm pumped for them. You know, I want them. If you can't get it here because I don't have it and I can't put it together for you, then go get it period. But the next time around, I'm going to try to be better prepared so that I have something for that person when they get there. But yeah, I mean, I don't, we, you know, we, when we recently made our move, we had 55 people, 54 came. And the one that didn't come is just retired. So a lot of that is having honest conversations with people, making them feel like they're a part of every decision that we make, which they are, um, getting their input, and then making decisions as a group. You know, this is, what we're doing is too big for me to make me decisions. I can't make decisions because it's better for me. I have to make decisions because it's better for everyone. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then we don't do it, period. And I think that people value that when they want to be a part of that. They want to be heard. They want to know that when they come and say, hey, this isn't working, that you listen and that you validate it and that you fix it, you know? Or you tell them, well, this is why we're doing it this way, just give it another week. And if it doesn't work, then you fix it. It doesn't have to be hard. I think people just get so set in their ways, they're not willing to change anything. But I think that's what sets you apart. Like you listen and you, like you said, you give it, it's given another week or a month and stuff and it doesn't work out. You listen and you know, you know you're willing to change yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think if you're not constantly, I think improvement comes through change, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not constantly improving, you know, your process, your workflows, your the way that you do things, because we have new technologies, we have new things that are available to us. If you're not constantly 
trying to innovate and 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 improve then everyone you'll wake up a year from now and somewhere somewhere else will be a more attractive place to work mm -hmm. and that would crush me because all I ever want to do is make this the most attractive place for people to do their loans because we want to be able to choose who we work with not be in a position where we have to take anybody that would come so that's that's what I that's what I wake up every every day to do is just try to make sure that it's the most attractive place for people to work and if it's not then I'm happy to help them get where it is for them but I think for the people that are like like me and think like me and want to do business like me I think we've done that but now it's because it's like I have I get the I get the the added bonus of having you know 54 other people's input you know yeah. and a lot of people are like well that's a nightmare it's like it's really not a nightmare you just listen you know you listen and then out of the 54 if everybody's really on the same team you're gonna get the same suggestion 12 times right that's what you have to fix the one weird suggestion that's like well I did this one VA loan <laughs> and the appraisal took a little longer and if there was something that we could do about that that's probably not the correction but if, if 12 people are like, I really wish the VOE process was different, well, then fix that. Because mm -hmm. 12 people aren't wrong. Yeah. No matter how much I'm like, well, that didn't happen to me. If 12 people all feel the same thing, it's real. You know? Mm -hmm. And you can't discount what people are feeling just because it doesn't happen to you. You know? Yeah. I think a lot of people get that wrong. That manage people or that lead people. Mm-hmm. They think, well, if I'm not experiencing it, it's not real. Well, that's not true. Or you have a lot of leaders that just don't think they're in the wrong. Oh, yeah, I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> and I mess up all the time. <laughs> I know, y'all, I mean, I love your office. Y'all are just like a big family. Yeah. It does, I come in here and it feels like a big family, like brothers and sisters yeah, working together. Yeah, it does feel that <laughs> way. But I do think it's because like, we, t we have talked about like failing our way to the top. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because we're, that just means we're trying all the time. Uh, and I know that I'm not right all the time. 100% <laughs> can't be, it's not possible. I, I surround myself with so many smart, hardworking people, there's no way I'm right every time. None, probably right less than half the time. But being able to identify when I am wrong and saying, yes, we should do it your way. That's 100% better than I was thinking. I'm done talking now. It's something that a lot of people struggle with. I don't. I don't care who gets credit. I don't care whose idea it is. If it's better, I want it, period. I want it for me. I want it for the person that doesn't even know they need it yet. I want it for the person that made the suggestion so that they know that they've been heard. I want it for every single person. And you have to remove the ego to be able to do that. And I think some people want it to be the, the them show. And that's the quickest way to find yourself in a room by yourself with nobody around you. It has to be about the team. Wouldn't you well, agree? You. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes no, I'll go you. off and you just have to like... <laughs> bring me back <laughs> no I completely agree 
So I what's know. been, let's do, let's do two more trains of thought for you. Uh -huh. That way we can get something a little bit more. So what's been, we'll do this one first. What's been the hardest thing for you? What's the thing you didn't think would be so hard being a real estate agent? What's the thing that you were like, I had no idea this part would be so difficult? Just getting started. Yeah. Like that was, I thought, oh, I'm going to get my license and I'm going to be closing deals left and right mm -hmm. because I have a big uh, sphere of influence and I have, you know, family and stuff. And that's not how it went. Mm -hmm. You get your license, you get active, you let everybody you know that I'm a real estate agent and you think they're automatically going to trust me. Yeah. And they don't. And you like see your friends closing with other people. You see your family is like, oh my God. But I've been saying, um, you know, and it's very like eye-opening because you think everybody's going to work with you because they know you. you mm -hmm. They're your friends. But that's not how it is. And you do get discouraged and you're like, well, maybe this isn't for me. And But you can't. Like, you just have to keep going. And oh, yeah. yeah. I, I would say the first hurdle is when you, when you break past your sphere, when mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this is not where I'm going to feed my family. You know what I mean? It's out here, mm -hmm. you know, because a few of them may trust you in the beginning, right? But you also have people that when they're really close to you, they don't want you knowing their personal business. Mm -hmm. So they're not never going to use you, yeah. right? And then you have some people that might be like, I'm only going to use Liz because I know her and I trust her and I'd rather someone like that know my business. And then everybody in the middle is just kind of watching you at first. Yeah. They're like, what is she doing? Is she doing business? Is she still doing this six months from now? That kind of thing. They're, and they're in the wait and see moment. So some of those come, you know, after six, nine, 12 months. Mm -hmm. Those people might actually call you and trust you because they see it wasn't just a thing you tried, right? You're actually doing this um, as a career. And then as you know, the, the real key is it is how many contacts can I make? Mm -hmm. How many people can I let know that I'm a real estate agent, yeah. you know? And that's the part that you think, I'm not gonna have to do that immediately. And then you're like, oh crap. Yeah, you to have do, to remind people. I need people, to do it immediately. Yeah, and you gotta keep reminding people that you're still in the business. Yeah. Even though they don't see you close, you know, you're just still in the business. Because you if you don't to. do that, right, and they, go, and they go to a house they like and they see the sign, they're just like, okay, well, I'm already here. Mm -hmm. I don't need to call Liz because I'm already here. Yeah. I already saw the house, you know what I mean? And uh, the other thing is, I think a lot of buyers don't know that they don't pay the buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. They don't know that, right? And they I, don't, or they think like, oh, well, she can't show us a house because it's not her sign in the front yard. Yeah, and all it's like misconceptions. They call, yeah. yeah, so they call the sign, which listings are a great way to get leads, mm -hmm. right? There's no, I don't know that there's a better way to get leads than having the listing, listing. right? But as someone that's working with a lot of buyers, the education that goes in with making sure that you protect your buyers too, right? If they don't, if you don't have, you know, a rep or whatever, and um, they go see a house, they're likely going to just talk to that agent or whoever's working mm -hmm. the open house, yeah. right? So knowing that you can help them buy any house, you don't have to be the one that listed it. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that you know the seller pays your commission, not them, is helpful. You know, they're like, oh, it's going to be expensive and. That's a cost that we pay, just helping them through that. Um, all educational stuff. But yeah, not, not thinking that you have more time before you have to get outside of your sphere mm -hmm. is always eye-opening.
to everyone that starts in this business. Because yeah. especially on the loan side for us, when rates are really low, you think, well, I'll just refi all my family, and then by then I'll meet some realtors. Mm -hmm. You know, but when rates are high, everybody's like, I'm not refinancing. What are you calling me for? <laughs> yeah. I got a three and a half. Get out of here, kid. You know what I mean? So we don't have that. We don't even have that. So now the jump off point's even higher for us. Like when we bring somebody in, like right now, if they were brand new, the jump off point's even higher. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a lot of people looking to do a refinance right now. You know, they may take equity out and put it into something else because stock market's not doing well or whatever. But <clears throat> not a lot of people just saying, hey, can I get a better rate? Not right this second. Mm -hmm. We're going to have plenty of it in a year or two. Because yeah. everybody that got a six and seven is going to want a five, right? So, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you is what's been, now that you've been doing it a while, what's been the most fulfilling thing about being a realtor? The most fulfilling thing for me has been able to help first-time home buyers. Mm -hmm. I love working with everyone, but first-time home buyers is just different. Just the excitement, the bringing everybody into, like the whole family, you know, when you bring kids, everybody picks out their room. And sometimes it breaks my heart when they don't get the house that mm. they looked at and they, we submitted an offer and they just didn't get it. It's emotional. It is. Yeah, because they I get still, so excited. And I, I mean, I just love it. I do. I love, you know, looking at houses. They just get excited about everything. I could tell... Uh, you knew immediately what you were going to say because I asked you and you immediately started smiling. Yes, I So love I know it. that it's genuine that you want to help first-time homebuyers, and I think that's great because there is something special about helping somebody through that process the first time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They don't have any frame of reference. You know, all they have is what you've told them and what the lender tells them and, you know, maybe what their parents tell them, and they've got to take all that in and, and try to navigate those waters and, when you do a good job at it and you get them to the end and they're really happy, there, is, were, there is nothing yeah, quite like that. It's not. I just closed one in January. They got into a new construction and it was, you know, I called the other day to check on them because it's been a month since they've been. I was like, how's everything going? He's like, we're just so excited. Like, you know, we don't, we don't let the kids touch the walls. We're always, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I know how that goes. Yeah. I was like, just touching up, but just you know, they rent it for the longest, yeah. you know, they're in their late thirties and they've been renting because they thought they, they just buy. couldn't yeah. buy. And whenever they looked at the numbers and their payment, you know, they couldn't believe what their payment was going to be. It was, they were paying more in rent. Well, rent has gone up a ton over the last couple of years also. So I think the, I think the disparity between rent and mortgage isn't as far as people think because Rent has gone up so much. Mm -hmm. Like we see people all the time paying twenty five hundred in rent. Yeah. All the time. That's a lot of money. We don't even pay for that for our mortgage. It's well, you could buy a three hundred thousand dollar house mm -hmm. today for that. Yeah. And people are paying it. You know, and I don't think, I don't think they understand. I think they think if rent's going up this much, there's no way I could afford a house. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Landlords are raising it to cover their expenses. Because yeah. taxes and insurance and everything else is going up. So, you know, just being able to educate them a little bit. But, yeah, first-time home buyers is great. There's so many different ways you can help them. They have the most options, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, there's just, there's something different. You know, I remember buying my first home. I knew nothing 
about what I was doing. I was selling motorcycles at the time and bought a home using FHA. It was like 120000 I told them I needed my payment to be 1000 And it was like 1006 I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> no way, dude. Not yeah. happening. And he was like, well, if you pay $400, which I didn't even know this, he was like, I can lower the rate and it'll be $999. I was like, done. So I did a rate buy down. I didn't even know what it was. Right? But looking back, I'm like, I see what you did now. Uh, but it was worth it to me because in my head, now, going back, did I even live there long enough to make that back? I did not. I didn't even live there long enough to make the 400 back with $7 a month. But, you know, that was my first experience, you know? And being young and not in the business, I just remember thinking, man, they're asking me for stuff all the time. Yeah. All the time. So many papers. Why do I got to go look at this house again? I've already looked at it three times. We got to make sure nothing's changed since you first saw it. Okay. All that stuff, you know? And then the first time I mowed my own grass that, like, I owned the house was, like, a thing for me, you know? Yeah. I was like, I can't believe they let me have, like, they let me (laughs) buy this, you know? And it's, like, mine. And if I knock down a wall, it's I don't have to ask anybody. <laughs> you know? It was just such a weird thing. Um, but, you know, our daughter was, like, six months old when we moved in to our first house. We had rented a house um, before she was born, but that was, like, our house. And uh, doing little things, like, so it had stairs, uh, like, having to put all the gates and stuff. Yeah. And then uh, the stair rails were, like, super wide. So we like put one, we put them in between, like we built, like we made our, uh, bought some and like put them there and painted them so oh, she couldn't, so she could. yeah, just in That's case. Because, you know, you just, first kid, first house, first, all, lots of firsts, yeah. you know, it's exciting and nervous all at the same time. And, you know, I don't get to go back to that space in my life that often, but sometimes when you get the right buyers, you do get to go back mm-hmm. and it's like. I remember that. Yeah, that I remember awesome. our first house. We looked, well, we had seen like 20 some houses. I just feel like our realtor would show us houses. I was like, that's not what I want, but okay. Uh, the house we bought, I remember saying, I was like, I don't know if I like this kitchen. It has too many cabinets. Too yes. many cabinets. I didn't have, we didn't have a lot. We were, you know, you young. Imagine? I know. And it was. It has too many cabinets. Yes, yeah, so I was like, what am I going to put in there? <laughs> We lived in that house for five years, and when I was, you moved, you had yes, not enough cabinets. I did not. I was like, we need a house with more, like bigger more kitchen, cabinets. more cabinets. I remember, I was like, where did we get all this stuff from? It, but that was my concern. I didn't have enough things to put in. Well, we were, yeah. So you know, you probably didn't have an air fryer, and you probably yeah, didn't we have, did. We didn't. had a crock pot that we got for right. our wedding, right? And we had four plate, four bowls, like yeah. cups. We didn't. Have all that, yeah. you know, maybe sippy cups and stuff because the kids were little. Uh, but yeah, we didn't have air yeah, fryer, the, a rice cooker. Yeah, you uh, get a rice cooker, you get an air fryer, <laughs> toaster, you get, a can you get opener, toasters, and then you get like uh, you go to a few rodeos and you got cups. <laughs> oh God, we had rockets, uh, got cups, Disney cups, Disney cups. Astros, and then before you know yeah. it, you're like, this house is too small. <laughs> we got to move. It yeah. doesn't have enough cabinet space. And that's what we did. Five years later, we moved. Go to a few Pampered Chef parties. Oh, God, yeah. Lots of Pampered <laughs> Chef All of a sudden, now. you got no room. Yeah. yeah. That's part of it, though, you know? And uh, when they get to that point, and then they call you back, then you get to have that experience with them, too. Mm-hmm. 
and you can have those conversations. Like when you moved in, did you ever think you'd run out of cabinet space? They're like, hell no. Yeah. I thought we're swimming in storage around here. Yeah. And then three years later, you had a kid and a Disney trip and a couple <laughs> things, and you're like, I got nothing. Yeah. I got no room. I'm busting out of this place. That's just part of it. You know, that's why people are going to buy, on average, three to five homes. Just life. Life happens, you adjust. Mm -hmm. And we get to go through that with them. Yeah, it that's, is fun. That's my favorite part. <laughs>